Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone and is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Christine Telford, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I am your host. Welcome, everyone. Excited to have you all on for the latest episode of the current podcast. Today, I have Mark Quinlan, Senior Vice President of Wildfire and Emergency Operations at Pacific Gas and Electric on. Mark, welcome. We're we're really glad to have you today. Good morning, Christine. Appreciate it and happy to be here. Great. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. So we're in the second month of wildfire season, which still amazes me how long wildfire season has has kind of expanded to on the calendar. But can you speak to the mitigation work your team has been doing so far this year at PG&E? Yeah, absolutely. And when when we think of wildfire season out in California and Pacific Gas and Electric, we think of it as a 12-month-a-year season. It never really goes away. There's a peak and an off-peak portion of the season. And so to your point, you know, after we've enjoyed a lot of rain, uncharacteristic levels of rain so far in 2023, you know, our fuels are drying out and we are moving into the peak of the season in the summer. So we are prepared. And, and some of the reasons why I'm confident that we're prepared is really covered in our wildfire mitigation program. So we do a lot of work every year on our system, on our assets, on our transmission and distribution system. And that's the the core of the wildfire mitigation program. This is all about system hardening, our undergrounding program, our veg management program, performing enhanced inspections of our transmission and distribution system. And we back that up while that work gets done over the long term with operational mitigations. And there's several of those. One of them is called enhanced power line safety settings. There are some other operational mitigations that we've also added called down conductor detection to go after very specific types of faults that occur on the electric system. We have a partial voltage force out protocol that we follow leveraging our smart meter network. And then at the end of the day, as a last resort option, when we have high wind events coupled with very dry fuels, that's when we execute our public safety power shutoff program. So the real-time operational mitigations that are really informed by weather forecasting, advanced weather and fire science forecasting, those operational mitigations are additional layers meant and intended to protect our system and our customers while the asset work continues over the longer term. That's an impressive you know, swath of mitigation protocols you guys have. I know that this past winter, California got an unseasonable amount of snow more so than usual. Has this had an impact on the work you all have been doing in preparing for this year's wildfire season? Yeah, it has. As mentioned, we were very pleased to see the amount of rain that we got. Would have been nice to not receive it all in three months. <laughs> that was a bit dramatic as you know, we were dealing with storms and you know, outages on our system. But we we did very well with that. We're actually recognized by EEI for a response and recovery reward for that response, coupled with an earthquake, by the way, that happened in late December. So it's never a dull moment in California. 
I'll say that. With all that moisture, you know, up in the higher elevations of our service territory, we did have a little bit of a delayed start to some of our wildfire work because the first quarter was dominated by storm response. And a lot of the areas in the higher elevations in the mountains are not really accessible because they're under snow, right? We we received like a 300% of normal snowpack this year, which is actually benefiting us now as we move into the peak of the wildfire season. But it did delay the start of some of our inspection work, some of our veg work, and some of our asset work. So we started in you know other areas where we could access, and now we're pivoting back to those areas to get those taken care of before the peak of the season is here. And uh, we're on a very, very nice trend there. Interesting. Okay, good to know. Let's talk about PSPS which we know as public safety power shutoffs. It's one of the things we get a lot of inquiries about here at EEI. I know PG&E has been implementing PSPS for years now. Can you just share your experiences with it, lessons learned, and I guess the evolution of how you all have been implementing it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Public safety power shutoff has been around in California for quite a while, dating back to I'd say around 2007. However, Pacific Gas and Electric did not have a public safety power shutoff program until 2018. And on October 15th of 2018 was the first public safety power shutoff event that we had ever executed. And I look over the several years that have gone by since 2018 to current day, and I'm just really pleased with how the program has evolved. So Every PSPS or public safety power shutoff event starts with weather. This is really a weather story. It's a windstorm, but it's a windstorm that's taking place in an environment where the fuels are incredibly dry out here in California. So that's why we have to operate the system differently, right? So when we start getting into, you know, the fall when we haven't had rain for six or seven months and everything is very, very dry, all those wildfire fuels are incredibly dry. When we have high wind events on the system, we have to take pretty significant actions in the form of shutting down the system or shutting it off in order to get through a wind period, right, while those fuels are very dry. So our meteorology team has the ability to forecast a what we refer to as a northerly wind or a Diablo wind event, which is a a northerly wind and offshore wind. And we can see an event coming about seven to 10 days out, but at that far away from when the actual wind event occurs, it's, it's too far out to be very specific as to where the areas of risk are. And at that point, that's when we spin up and establish our emergency operations center, and we start executing the program. About 48 hours out, we begin notifying customers because by now we we have a very good understanding of where the event's going to occur and when the event's going to occur, right? So this is called scoping. So as we get closer to the event, our meteorology team can pinpoint exactly where we believe we're going to have those high winds and exactly what the fuel conditions are going to be. So what that allows us to do is to establish geographic areas of risk that we are very concerned with. And our intent is to shut 
the system down or, or shut it off in those areas, right? So the scoping process has evolved since 2018. 2019, just looking at the number of events that we had, we had seven public safety power shutoff events that impacted a little over 2 million customers. That has fallen each year, 2020 down to 653,000 customers impacted, 2021, 80,000. So we've seen an incredible reduction in scope of events. And that's largely driven by our ability from a meteorology perspective to better pinpoint where these risks are going to be. With the advancement in the meteorology and fire science tools that we have at PGD, coupled with asset work installing sectionalizing devices on transmission and distribution, what that allows us to do is to shrink the area of impact and better match up the de-energized zone to the risk area. I will say this, 2022, we did not experience any public safety power shutoffs, which was very nice. (laughs) Thank you, Mother Nature. Um, We were very dry in the state last year. The majority of the, the state was in drought. It was the second driest year in the last 128 years. But fortunately, we didn't have any high wind events that met thresholds to where we had to shut the system off. All of the California IOUs have PSPS programs. They're all different, though. They're not the same program because they're all customized to their own risk profiles, right? So there is no like default state program that all the IOUs follow. Every IOU does their, their own thing and has their own plan, right? And to a large degree, the same exists for enhanced power line safety settings, All the IOUs have some form of fast tripping, but what we're doing at PG&E is, my view, highly custom. We're looking at every circuit that exists in the high fire risk area. We're looking at every protective device that exists on that system, and we are deploying custom settings to every one of those devices such that they coordinate with each other. We're not relying on factory OEM fast curves. We're actually coming up with custom settings based on where that device exists on the system. The thing that I'm really happy about and proud about is that as a community, we all meet. We meet frequently and we share lessons learned. This is how we're deploying this. This is what's working here. This is what was not effective. How do you approach this problem? I look at the difference between 2012 and 2018 when we started the program, and there was a, there's a 230% increase in, in high fire threat areas in the PG&E service area between that, that period, 2012 to 2018. And so that drove the need to you know, have a community wildfire safety program, have public safety power shutoff programs. And our program is is custom to our risk profile. What we've been able to do is to really fine tune our fire potential index down to a two by two kilometer grid cell. So if you think about the PG&E service area, I can overlay a two kilometer by two kilometer grid across our entire system. And at each one of those grid cells, I have the ability 
to understand what the fuel conditions are and what the forecast is going to be with respect to wind speeds and relative humidity and temperature and you know other data elements and and that level of granularity is how we scope out our public safety power shutoff program. I'm a fan of the fact that we're all communicating and sharing lessons learned and I'm actually a fan that our systems and our you know our programs are different and more custom to you know our facilities in each one of the service areas because they are different. That's great. I'm really impressed with the fact that in terms of PG&E conducting PSPS, it seems relatively recent, yet your abilities to really hone in on the scoping process and, and pinpoint the specific areas that will be affected seems to have really improved and gotten a lot more precise just in the last few years. So that's really impressive. So kudos to you all on that. I want to ask about how the community has really adapted to these PSPS events, because I imagine this is a process that you have to inform everyone that's going to be affected. So how has the community really adapted to this or become more resilient, I guess, in response to these events? That's a great question. In 2019, when when we had you know an abundance of public safety power shutoff events, the communities, they had not experienced PSPS events in the past in our portion of California. And despite some messaging about fire season and messaging about having emergency plans, I would say that the way that customers were impacted, there were large instances of not being prepared. So we've, we've put a lot of effort and energy into how do we show up differently for our customers? What other benefits can we provide? How do we communicate with the state agencies and the county agencies? Because you know, when we have one of these events, it's very important that the agencies are aligned with us so they know our intent, they know our timing, they know our planning such that they could put the appropriate plans in place to take care of their constituents and, you know, their counties or their, their towns, right? So a, a lot of improvement with sharing information with the agencies to better prepare, hey, we're going to de-energize this this many customers in this town between the hours of X and Y, we think it's going to be, you know, a 12-hour shutoff event before we start patrolling and restoring, right? So all, all of that information is incredibly important for agencies to stand up and get ready and start messaging to their constituents. From our perspective with customers, equally important is notifying customers and ensuring that they are fully aware of what PG&E's intent is for the benefit of public safety, right? And so we're very, very concerned about ensuring that they are aware specifically when the event's going to start, when it's going to end. It's all the same information that we're delivering to the agencies. We deliver it to our customers, but we deliver it to our customers three different times before the event occurs. We, we start at the 48-hour mark, and we notify our customers, you may be impacted, and we give them event-specific details. At the 24-hour mark ahead of de-energization, we communicate again because sometimes we see changes in scope, changes in timing, changes in duration, and we feel it's appropriate to re-communicate to the same customers that we've communicated at the, to at the 48-hour mark. And then eminent notifications. This is 
what I'll refer to as T minus four. So four hours in front of the shutoff time, we, we send additional communications out to customers as well, right? Letting them know this is our intent. So that's, you know, the front end technical event specific outage specific communication aspect. In addition to that, we also inform customers where community resource centers will be stood up and established. These are, these are indoor and outdoor facilities that are staged within a county that's going to be impacted by a PSPS event where customers and members of the community could go to for some event-specific information. They could go to recharge phones. They could go pick up grab-and-go bags partner with some community-based organizations to get some assistance with respect to transportation or housing. This is, you know, our our intent is to do everything we can, especially for customers who may be, you know, vulnerable, access functional needs customers, medical baseline customers. You know, power outages are, are very disruptive and impactful to this customer base. And we're very, very intently focused on ensuring that they are safe and they have a plan and they have resources to be successful, right? So uh, a lot of the communications up front is about the event itself. And then coupled with that are additional comms resources on how to be resilient, how to be safe, how to have a plan, what to do in the events, et cetera, to ensure that we're all safe through it. Great. Great. That's that's all really good to know. Important, important information. Resource adequacy. So that's that's one thing that you know we hear about a lot with respect to California and just some of the challenges that the state faces. Has that affected how you all handle PSPS? It's a great question. Short answer, no. Longer answer. When I think of resource adequacy, I think about the transmission system. I think of the supply and demand curve, having appropriate generation resources to meet demand, you know, and and that's heavily focused in California. It's facilitated by the California ISO and the reliability coordinator for the greater West. And it's just ensuring, you know, that we have enough supply to meet demand. Now that typically happens where we could be compromised from a supply demand perspective. Like last year it happened. We had a, a, a pretty significant period of heat and extreme loads, 10 day event in late August, early September, where flex alerts were being distributed by the independent system operator to, you know, residents of California daily. Fortunately, we didn't have any PSPS events that overlaid with that. But the way that I think about it, those are two independent things. They could interplay if the timing occurred where we were having a wind event at the same time as a high load day, right? But just RA or resource adequacy, independent and apart from wildfire risk, or I think they're two different things that have the opportunity to coincide based on timing, right? But we're very, very coordinated with the independent system operator here, such that if we need to de-energize portions of our system, we do that through coordinating with them. And then advanced planning takes place. The system is postured to be able to ride through that abnormality, if you will, and absorb the next contingency that occurs. So one thing that I'll say about wildfire risk in California is that, you know, the transmission system 
you know, could be up and running and the day is planned out. And if, if you have an active wildfire for any reason that impacts a transmission path, that could dramatically change the flows and how the ISO has to posture the system in order to meet the demand, right? But from a public safety power shutoff event, we have not really run into that at this time. Got it. Okay, great. What I've gathered just from the last few minutes of talking about PSPS is that this is a very highly complicated <laughs> process, you know, involving coordination, not only with the community, but also, like you said, with the system operator. And it's just, you know, it's fascinating and obviously encouraging to know that you all have a lot of that, a lot of protocols in place to really maintain, you know, some some kind of smooth operation there. Let's move on. You mentioned earlier Enhanced Power Line Safety Settings, or EPSS, another acronym we'll throw in. Can you talk about that program? EPSS is another operational tool, real-time operational tool that we use for wildfire mitigation. So our Enhanced Power Line Safety Settings program started off as a pilot in 2021 on 170 distribution circuits in the pg and Service Territory. And what it is, is adjustment of the clearing speed of our line reclosers. So line reclosers are a common device in the industry. We have plenty of them at PG&E. And what we've done is looked at all of the high-risk circuits. We've looked at the reclosers that exist on the circuits, and we've adjusted the trip speed on those line reclosers such that they pick up faults faster, they clear faster. In fact, they clear in six cycles. And as a result, we have less incident energy being delivered to the fault location. And that kind of transferred into less energy and less of an ignition risk because we're, we're tripping on three phase. We are eliminating backfeed. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're reducing the arc energy at the fault location. So we've seen incredible results associated with enhanced power line safety settings. So much so that we decided to, in 2022, expand the program to all of our high-risk circuits that exist in the high-fire risk area and in buffer areas that are adjacent to the high-fire risk areas. So we went from 170 circuits in 2021 at the pilot, and we expanded to over 1,000 circuits. And so now we have EPSS capability on over 1,000 circuits on the distribution system and we enable and disable the EPSS settings all based on meteorology input, specifically fire potential index, fuel conditions. So if the meteorology forecast calls for very dry conditions, what we'll do is take that information and the control center operators will go in and, and adjust settings on all these line reclosers and put them in EPSS mode. We will enable EPSS on the circuit, right? And then if we have any type of disturbance on the circuit, we have the fast tripping capability associated with the EPSS settings, which really curbs the amount of emissions that we experience. We're seeing great results with it this year and last year. So when we expanded the enhanced power line safety settings program to 100% of the high fire risk areas along with areas that are adjacent to those high fire risk areas. 
we had our first full year of the program being implemented in 2022, and the results are, are incredible. We saw at the end of the season more than a 68% reduction in CPUC reportable ignitions on these EPSS-enabled circuits. So 68% reduction in ignitions, that's just an incredible. And for when we did experience an ignition that was not caught by that layer of protection, EPSS, we experienced a 99% reduction in the number of acres that were impacted by that ignition. So put differently, 68% reduction in ignitions. And when they did occur, they were small, very small and very easy for an agency to contain and suppress. So very, very happy with those results. And some of the things that we're leveraging this year to go after, how do I get that? How do I get 68% ignition reduction higher, right? What else do I need to do? You know, well, we did a study and we noticed that EPSS settings are not catching low current faults or high impedance faults. These are faults that occur on the system that look like load to the protective device. The device is sitting out there. There's a, there's a rise in, in current, but it's not a, a dramatic rise as is typical with, with high current faults. So it looks like actual load and the device doesn't pick it up or operate. So what we're doing to address high impedance or low current faults is applying part or down conductor detection, which measures the amount of fault current on a, on a line and how long it's in place coupled with some harmonic analysis. And what we've, we've seen is that we believe that our down conductor detection is going to be an additional layer of protection that that solves largely for the low current fault detections that that make it through EPSS protection. So we're very excited about this and and we anticipate to see that 68% reduction in ignitions to to go higher in 2023. So we're real excited about that. Wow, that is really cool. So tell me about once a line is de-energized and you're ready to re-energize it under EPSS. Do you have to do a visual inspection of the line before you can re-energize it? We do. You know, I, I think about traditional ways to troubleshoot outages on the distribution system. And, you know, what we need to do out here in California, especially when EPSS settings are in place, we have to adjust that methodology and visually inspect all of the zone that's de-energized to ensure that there's no hazards or risks to the system prior to re-energizing the system. We know something happened. There was a fault out there that caused a line recloser to trip. We have an outage to the system downstream of that device. We need to put eyes on it. The last thing we want to do is, is to have an ignition while attempting to re-energize because we didn't inspect 100% of that line, right? So in, in winter or in times where EPSS settings are not enabled, it's more of a traditional response. You'll send a first responder out to the outage. They'll do a patrol. They'll locate damage. They'll do their best to isolate that damage, and then they'll restore. But they're assuming one case of trouble. They're not patrolling 
the entire distribution system to the end of the line from the source side device. They're finding the problem, isolating the problem and re-energizing. We're of the belief that that's too risky during fire season when these EPSS settings are in place, right? So we have to patrol everything downstream of the operable device, largely because it, it operates so quickly, it's operating faster than some other downstream protection. So that kind of technical, but, you know, we're deliberately tripping very, very fast to eliminate the, the incident energy at the fault site. But what that does, it results in a miscoordination of protection. So now we have to patrol downstream of other protective devices that we normally wouldn't have to do when the settings are not on. Very, very cool. Okay. So once EPSS settings are in place, is there any noticeable impact to customers? Obviously, once a line is de-energized, there will be an obvious impact. But once just the settings are in place, is there anything that customers can notice in their service? Well, what we've observed so far is that when EPSS settings are in place, as mentioned earlier, we're we're tripping so fast, you know, we're we're overreaching existing protection. So when we do have outages on the system associated with EPSS, typically they're larger than they would have been if the settings were not in place, right? So if, I'm, if I have an outage that's located downstream from a fuse location, under normal settings, we would expect that fuse to operate. And you know the customers that are impacted by the outage would be limited to just those served from that fuse location. When EPSS settings are in place, the line recloser that's located upstream from the fuses actually detects the fault faster than the fuses do, and it operates, so it results in a larger outage, right? So, you know, a, a, a fuse outage that impacts 50 customers could be a line recloser outage that impacts 200 customers, right? So it's a larger outage to begin with. And it's going to take us a little bit longer to patrol because we have more miles of circuit that we have to put eyes on. Now we have to patrol everything from the line recloser to end of line. But the advantage that we have is that we've got, we've also put in a a response protocol that every EPSS outage needs to be responded to within 60 minutes. We treat it as an emergency, like a 911 call from an agency. So when we have a, an EPSS outage take place, what we're doing here with respect to trying to change the culture, we're, 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 we're driving the following message. Every EPSS outage is an ignition until it's proven not to be an ignition. So our, if our first responders are thinking that, and they might be working on you know, another job and they're called by the control center to respond to a EPSS outage, they're responding with a sense of urgency to get out there as quickly and safely as possible to confirm no, no ignition, number one. And number two, they're out there quicker, which results in faster restoration. The other thing that I'll, I'll mention is that given the fact that we have to patrol more miles of line associated with EPSS outages, we have helicopters that are on standby that we perform air patrols on. So like you wouldn't necessarily respond with a helicopter on a 50 customer fuse outage in the middle of winter. But when you're talking about a 
three or 400 customer outage in the summer, you know, we, we get ships in the air and we complement that air patrol with ground patrols and they're working together to try to put eyes on that equipment as fast as possible. It's really a play off the PSPS program. We had 65 dedicated helicopters that we used to patrol our system after public safety power shutoff events when the weather conditions are, are favorable where we can start re-energizing the system. We get all those helicopters in the air and we start patrolling. So when we introduced enhanced power line safety settings in 2021, we just leveraged those same air assets because it's a very fast and efficient patrol via helicopter instead of driving it out solely. So from a customer perspective, the more customers are impacted on average when enhanced power line safety settings are in place for the reasons that that have been disclosed, but the response actually is improved. Not only initial response getting on site within an hour, but also the overall duration of the outage is typically faster because we 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 deploy a lot of field resources you know, to these outages. Great. Well, Mark, I've learned a lot. I was familiar with PSPS, but it's amazing to learn how that program has really become a lot more accurate and effective in recent years and learned a ton about EPSS. So thank you for diving into that with us. Appreciate your time today. And hopefully this is a quiet, a quieter wildfire season for you all. Well, appreciate it. And we're hopeful for the same outcome that you described, but we are prepared to address anything that comes our way. So, and we're to your earlier point when we opened, you know, we are moving into the peak of the season. So it's, it's time to get cut in and, and, and respond and be there for our customers. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights on energy policy. To learn more about EEI and the electric power industry, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy. 